You are listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Late Night Live. To all you fans, thank you for returning back. And uh, we have with us our wonderful co-host, Abdul, are you there? Assalamu alaikum. I'm here loud and clear over from Houston, Texas. <laughs> Fantastic. I, I had too much sugar, perhaps. No, no, I just had a, a it's very simple food today. Um, well, to all of our listeners, we are back. And to the listeners that are online as well, thank you for joining us tonight. We have a very, very unique and different topic that we will introduce after talking a bit about what's been happening in the news. The topic tonight is, Abdul, do you know? I think it's something to do with something about the internet uh, currency or something like that. Almost, almost. (laughs) It is cryptos. So cryptocurrencies is tonight's topic. But before we introduce our two guests, we have a famous YouTuber, Crypto Rich. He's going to be on tonight. And we have a guy from Morgan Stanley, Hassan Sharif. He's coming all the way long distance from not New York, but even further away from London. So we're going to have him as well. And then, and then someone who, who's been on the show before, but, but uh, will be on again because he, he's, uh, uh, as well as a wonderful doctor, he's also an investor. So it's like having like, a tangential person on to talk about um, why he's interested in it. So Abdul, tell me what's happening in the news in your world? What's going on? Well, lately I've been watching the news and also I was watching the parts of the trial of the, that Chauvin, Chauvin guy, the policeman, Uh, obviously with the uh, the George Floyd scenario and the, it kind of was a, a foregone conclusion this time with so much media, worldwide media, on the case, on the trial. And uh, obviously, lo and behold, it becomes the first convicted policeman uh, uh, to be convicted guilty of uh, murdering a civilian, which beggars belief, you know, up until the 2021. Uh, and I think all the authorities in America and here possibly and around the world as well, we're making a big sigh of relief, uh, hoping there was no repercussions of any of the, uh, in, in case there was a, a different uh, outcome of the, the case. So um, we're all waiting now to see how many years he goes into the, the, the jail for, and uh, it just shows you how stupid some people can be with an, an act like that. And, ruin your life and your family's life how, how fragile you can you can make a, a bad mistake you know so he's going to pay for it now yeah it's a very contentious and um, just an awful thing we're very supportive of uh, the bad things like this that happen in the world because they may even happen closer to home um so yeah that that's quite quite a thought well look um the new story I was looking at was uh, a bit uh, more amusing because there's plenty of, uh, you know, the horrific stuff that uh, yesterday's doctors mentioned in terms of, you know, we're being worried about the COVID that's come through from India. It's a different variant. Well, I didn't want to talk about that. I wanted to jump in and just say, 
there's news out there that's made news that's um, basically a, a, a woman has begged for help after her fake tan, uh, her fake tan has left the hotel bed looking like a crime scene. Now that's a blunder, isn't it? And that's made the news. <laughs> so is that, is that, I've got a picture of that scene of Goldfinger. Is that what we're talking about? Um, it looks like blood stains because uh, the fake tan is, I guess, you know, skin color, darker skin color. And um, it's almost like dried blood uh, all over the, the bed. So yeah. she's obviously showered with some sort of fake tan and, uh, <clears throat> to, to the hotel bedroom, white linen or satin sheets. And um, it, it, there's even a picture online somewhere showing how... It looks like a nasty, horrible crime. Yes, I just don't understand that. You know, you go to pa I was in Pakistan. Well, not just this time, but many a times I go there, and there's all these whitening creams everywhere. I see, and for sale in all the shops. And when you go to someone's house and you see the the, the, the whitening creams, and then then you come to the, the European countries and everybody wants to be dark. I don't get it. I just don't get that. Somebody need to explain that to me. But yeah, uh, it's strange why you would want to tan your face with something fake, and you can tell it's fake as well. And you get some people and have got they've got the fake tan all around their face, and then they leave a, a neckline, you know, and you think, crikey. Yeah, I think Donald Trump does he use that stuff as well? Is that why his face is so orange? Apparently, apparently, I think you must uh, have someone coming in to spray him with this lovely stuff. Aye. Aye. On that bombshell, yep. go for it. So we introduce the guests, Abdul. Go for it, on you go. Okay, we have um, in the bottom corner of our screen um, the Morgan Stanley gentleman, Mr. Hassan Sharif. Welcome to the show. Hassan, are you there? Yep, I'm here. Um, and we also have Crypto Rich. Crypto Rich, I don't know if you can hear me. Are you there? You may need to unmute yourself. I am here. Assalamu alaikum. Waalaikumsalam. Thank you for joining us. Um, well, I'm going to start with uh, Hassan. Um, if you could briefly introduce yourself, and then uh, we'll have Crypto Rich come on board and tell us a bit about himself as well. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. Assalamu alaikum. Well, 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 inshallah. Uh, yeah, so um, I have got an undergraduate in economics and then a master's in economics and finance. Um, work in mergers and acquisitions, in particular in global markets. Um, and aside from that, of course, kind of uh, studied Islam for a number of years uh, with iSyllabus uh, for about six years and then went on to study uh, Arabic um, at sacred text syllabus for two years and specialization in Islamic theology which I'm currently doing so yeah excellent very pretty because um, later on we have a couple questions that are um, on the Islamic thematics um, of crypto so that that's going to come from your knowledge which which we really look forward to this evening um, well you know, the first question I'm going to ask you before I get Crypto Rich to join is um, what got you into this? Um, 
So I'd been I'd been following cryptocurrency since about 2013. Um and to be honest, I I I don't just like the idea of, you know, the 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 monetary side of things, but I like the whole concept behind it all in terms of the decentralization of it. Um I read a lot about the decentralized finance side. Um like you know, even myself, even though I kind of work in that side, I do feel as if the regular consumer really does draw the short straw when it comes to finance or when it comes to mortgages, when it comes to even putting savings into their uh, account. Um, the blockchain technology itself, I think, is 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 fantastic. Um, so I was a big fan of the actual the 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 tech behind it uh from from the beginning really uh and then i kind of saw things spiral uh and it almost kind of hit mainstream in 2017 i think a lot of people inside crypto thought that's it this was crypto hitting mainstream unfortunately it it didn't and now it's kind of obviously been revived uh again so so yeah that's kind of been my journey uh learning about cryptocurrency Excellent. That's a very good, um, uh, you, know, you know, background. I appreciate it, um, and and really, especially um, the fact that you know you you've harnessed a great education, and it comes from you know sounds like your passion. Look, um, I'd like to now introduce uh, Crypto Rich. That's right, everybody. Um, that is his uh, YouTube name, and uh, well, uh, Crypto Rich, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and yourself as well because you've got a great following online you may need to unmute as well yes i'm sorry i may need reminders to unmute as well thank you for that (laughs) so assalamu alaikum niaz hassan abdul thank you so much for having me on Uh, my real name isn't crypto rich uh, but people do want to get rich with crypto my background i'm actually a qualified social worker and I came from I came into the cryptocurrency industry from this from the angle of a layperson who was just interested in how can I secure the financial future for myself and my family because as a social worker I don't get much of a pension. In fact, I don't have any pension because well, for whatever reason, right? Uh, I did contract work. So I'm interested in it as a layperson. I. Came across it in 2000, and actually my journey started in 2011. I did a course about money, but this wasn't a course like, oh, here's how you invest in equities. Here's how you invest in, in, um, in property. Here's how you get a buy to let, all of that. It wasn't that. It wasn't that. It was, what is, a, what is it about? And I invite people who are listening to consider this as I say this, right? What is it about money and how I am about money and how I spend and save money and my beliefs and attitudes about money that is hidden from my view? What is it about me and my relationship to money that I cannot see? This was just incredibly provocative course. It really, really got me thinking because I know what's obvious about money. I haven't got enough and I've got to get more. I haven't got enough and I've got to get more. And I was working very, very hard as a child protection social worker, 50, 60, sometimes 70 hours a week. 
And there was just no way I could get any more. That I knew that that wasn't hidden from my view. But the question, what is hidden from my view? What can I not see about money? Really got me thinking. And I thought, you know, I did really well at school and I did really well at university, but nobody taught us about money. Nobody taught me at school how to balance my bank account, how to even run or set up a bank account, how to do a budget or anything. Nobody told me where money came from. So I was thinking, where does money came, come from? Like, how come this piece of paper that has 10 pounds on it has any value? Where does it come from? Who decides? So then I started investigating and researching. And I came across the notion of fractional reserve banking. Uh, I, created, I got clear about the distinction between currency and money, about the value of gold and silver and how they've played a role in how people exchange time, value, and energy. And then I came across this thing in, called Bitcoin, and this was in late 2012, and there wasn't much information about it, really, you know, on the internet and stuff. And it must have been about $5 when I first came across it. So I kind of like didn't know what to do and stuff, looked at it, watched the price go up slowly, slowly, slowly. And then my wife and I decided, okay, well, let's just throw some money at it no more than we can afford to lose. How much can we afford to forget about, you know, if it goes to nothing? So we put that in, that was early 2013. And I forgot about it, forgot about it. And um, 2015, I had another look and I was like, oh, oh, it popped up. So my first, I bought my first Bitcoin at $15. And in 2015, I mean, this is kind of, Rough, I think it went up to about $150 or something. And I started watching it more closely. And then late in 2016, I diversified into other cryptocurrencies like Litecoin, Monero, Ethereum, Dash. And if you're not into cryptocurrencies, you won't know. But you know, like how there are different types of fiat currencies, ones issued by governments and central banks. You have dollars and Pakistani rupees and Indian rupees and the pound and the euro. So similarly with cryptocurrencies, you have different types of cryptocurrencies. Crypto being a short form of cryptographic to do with code. And then I was like, well, how can I get into this? How can I get into this? How can I get into this? I don't have a background in tech. I don't have a background in IT. I don't have a background in, in finance or banking or anything. I'm just a social worker. So I started, to, I started running my YouTube channel in April, 2017. I, uh, it's Crypto Rich. If you search for me, Crypto Rich on YouTube, it's youtubes.com slash C slash Crypto Rich. You'll find me. I am being shadow banned, which maybe we can touch upon later. So I don't show up in the, in the results straight away, but I pretty much post every single day. I'm interested in passive income cryptocurrencies. And I'm also interested in cryptocurrencies that preserve privacy. So that's where I am. Thank that's you. Crypto, thank you. I really appreciate um, that in-depth uh, background. Um, absolutely fascinating. And especially, you know, fundamentally that you've been in from early on. I'm going to quickly, um, before introducing Nazem, Nazem has been on the show a few times. Um, and, um, you know, he, I've got him on primarily because, you know, he, he's been an investor, but I'm going to ask Abdul this. What do you think so far of um, cryptos? 
What are your thoughts? Um, my thoughts are, you know, same as shares and stocks and shares. I'm old school. I like to see where my money is and uh, makes, makes me more secure sleeping in at night. And uh, property, gold, that kind of thing uh, is, is where I see my money in real life. Whereas Bitcoin, my son's told me many a years, and we looked at it many years ago as well. And I just don't know, my, my gut just told me uh, not to do it. Re reason being is because um, I just feel if, if I'm not in control of something and other powers can have uh, a detrimental effect on it, then I, I don't want it. I'd rather be in control of my own money and not have it out in the elements uh, of the cybersecurity. Anything can happen. It can crash. So yeah. as well as property and gold prices also, but every time we have an, uh, a recession, the gold in the property seems to go up in price because of the interest rates go down. So it's, it's just one of those things. Put it in property, the property's prices go up and gold, that goes up. Um, but just something about it is just ethically also something's just not sitting right with me also. Yeah. Well, you know what, Abdul, um, you know, I, I was regulated, um, you know, so I've been in the industry 20 years. Um, and as Hassan knows, when you're regulated, you know, Swiss regulated as well as a signatory of the bank, um, you know, it, one one with this, um, you know, we're not here to recommend anything. If I you know, say that first and foremost, um, this is not a regulated industry. Um, cryptos are still not regulated, and there may be a future that that will be the case. But I always said this. I said to people, um, when someone advises you, you need to really make sure that they are regulated when it comes to. Um, equities and, and you know the regulated products that are out there um, and with cryptos it kind of is going to be the same thing if you don't understand it you need to back off and try to assimilate your understanding of it all because of the inherent incredible dangers of losing your assets and you don't want to lose your assets in um, any market at all whether it's property or you know whatever you decide so um on, on that, I'm going to ask um, Nazem, could you kindly unmute yourself? Because uh, I've got to ask you something. Dr. Nazem, are you there? Moussam, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank yeah. you for having me. Look, um, I, I heard, heard uh, and I understand that um, you're in crypto. Why? Why are you in crypto? I'm in crypto, really. Uh, um, I think part of the thing is that when you're earning money, you look to see, okay, how, there's two aspects. One is how can I preserve or safeguard what I have? The other thing is, is there a way I can invest what I've earned so that it may bring me a return in some shape or form in near term or longer term uh, so that one can, because uh, not everybody can continue working for, for every minute of life that God gives them beyond a certain age. And equally, yes, we do have pensions and uh, we do have schemes like NHS scheme, but at the same time, we always, particularly as parents, we start thinking about our future. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also, through the Prophet Sassam, encourages us to be sensible and use what he's given us wisely. I mean, two things on the Day of Judgment are, one is that you be asked four questions, and two are related to your wealth, how you earned it and how you spent it. Uh, so it's a serious matter when it comes to money. So when it comes to 
uh, things. One looks to see, okay, first and foremost, what are the options available? And secondly, what are permissible within a Sharia and what are perhaps even desired in terms of how one spends uh, one's money? Uh, I mean, and we should never think money is a bad thing or think that spending money or whatever is a bad thing. Indeed, we're told to, to make a will. Uh, when we do have assets and even, even if we don't make a will at least it should be understood that this person wishes their estate to be uh, distributed according to sharia and if there are any bequeaths or debts etc they're made known so that they are taken care of before the assets are uh, are distributed uh, but with something like crypto uh, like abdul mentioned a bit hesitant a bit on um, uh, green to all for a period of time uh, and that was because obviously the market itself was green uh, and then obviously the Sharia aspect in terms of what is permitted and what isn't comes into play. As many of you know, I am a student of knowledge of uh, Sheikh Amr, Sheikh Razwan primarily, studying for a number of years. We do cover financial aspects as well. Uh, and then likes of, for example, uh, Hassan Sharif, who's on, who's, who's got an economics background, who knows this more and more detail, who's actually studied it with Shaykh as well. As you start speaking and start to get familiar with the concept, you then start thinking, okay, well, if it's permissible and, and, there's, and there's no haram involved or whatever to the best of one's knowledge, then we look and say, okay, is, is it sensible to maybe put a little bit of one's uh, savings into it? Now, one has, I think the most important thing now is, and you've always often advised me on this matter, that one should be sensible in terms of how, how much one puts where, uh, because as you say, you don't want to lose something. And in a worst case scenario, if you do take a bit of a hit, it shouldn't have such a deep impact and it's going to have repercussions on the rest of your portfolio or whatever it is. Uh, let me be the devil's advocate here and say oh, there's there's like dog-like coins out there, right? And and you're gonna get urine on yourself. I mean, you gotta be careful. You can yeah, really I mean, that goes without saying that goes even with shares, for example, property, anything you stick your money in. Uh, if, if if you don't do your homework, then yes, the proverbial you will be urinated on or pissed on, to be frank. Uh, so that's why you have to speak to people who know what they're doing, who have done it or who are regulated or who understand it uh, so that if you're doing it, you're doing it uh, as safe as you can. And equally, is that you don't put in uh, more than you can afford uh, to lose. Uh, and yes, there are going to be charlatan coins or equivalent out there. And sometimes we know with Dogecoin and stuff, for example, somebody got two million. And this was just started off on the back of like a joke, in essence. A few uh, flippant tweets from uh, uh, Elon Musk sub, and then all of a sudden it shoots up. So that's how precarious and how also interesting this market is. Uh, um, there's a herd-like uh, mentality. So at the same time, you want to say, well, okay, out of all these cryptocurrencies and all the various ecosystems that exist, some may actually have some mileage and have some practicability in terms of how it can impact a person's financial interaction in terms of transactions or savings or whatever. So one uh, one can look into that and say, well, actually, you know what, this actually makes sense this, from a financial perspective compared to a fiat perspective. This actually has logic to it. And, and actually, sure. you know what, this might actually be something to consider compared to all the other things out there where everybody's trying to jump on a bandwagon where you put something in and get X fold out. Welcome back, all you fans. We've got a wonderful topic. If you missed the first part, we have still a long way of the show to go. And tonight's topic is about cryptos. I have on one corner, Crypto Rich. Crypto Rich, you can unmute and say hello again. Assalamu alaikum. Alaykum Thank you for returning. Um, and Hassan Sharif as well is with us. Um, are you there? Yep. Uh, we have Nazim as well and Abdul Aziz on my corner. Um, I'm, I'm going to 
ask you all to, you know, just stay on live so that, you know, we can have a nice debate. So um, perhaps, uh, Crypto Rich, you can start off with um, telling us a, a bit more about what's, what's on your mind in terms of what you've heard so far, and then maybe introduce us to some of the cryptos that are out there, uh, you know, enlighten the audience of your excitement in it. And then I'd like Hassan to maybe come back with, uh, and Nazam as well with the Islamic side of it. And because um, I, I want to eventually come back to questions that were asked and that's particularly from the audience and it's things like staking. Um, so Crypto Rich, I'm going to hand it over to you. All right, thank you so much. And I just want to thank um, Abdul and Nazim and Hassan for what they said about cryptocurrencies and you know how they were looking into it. And what you there's a lot of what you said that was useful that I was like, yep, yep, absolutely, absolutely. Like the importance of doing your own due diligence, the importance of not selling your entire worldly goods and and family members and grandparents in order to go and buy some cryptocurrency that you've not done you know sufficient diligence on the risk of putting any amount of money in any investment absolutely 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 however some of what you some of what was said i don't think actually fits cryptocurrencies and there's a challenge that i had when i started looking at cryptocurrencies because i know about you know picked up stuff about gold and silver and equities and stocks and savings and interest rates, you know, as you do in life. But the challenge with cryptocurrencies is that it's a whole new paradigm. And the rules from the old paradigm don't fit the new paradigm. The rules of fiat currency, government and central bank issued currency, don't fit the paradigm of real money. By that, I mean gold, silver and cryptocurrencies. Now, if I can just say what I mean by a paradigm, it's like there was a time where human beings thought the earth was flat. And if you go to the edge and, you know, to the coast and you look and see, well, you can only go out 12 miles because after that, you just fall off the edge. So our entire behavior and the way that we perceived life was given by living inside that paradigm, that context that the world is flat. And then it was like, well, wait a minute, the world is round. Now, the world didn't actually change physically, but our perception of it or the paradigm changed. You know, another way is, you know, the, I'm not afraid of dogs. I don't want them touching me. I don't want them close to me. I don't want them in my house. But people who aren't Muslim don't have that relationship to dogs the way that a Muslim will. It's just a different paradigm. The dog hasn't changed. The rules that operate within cryptocurrencies don't necessarily always apply to the ones in non-cryptocurrencies. And the fundamental basis, I think, of all currency, whether it's money or gold or silver or anything, right, or the pound, is an agreement. I'm going to give you something that you and I both agree has value, but it isn't just you and I. Many, many people agree that it has value. And what happens with fiat currencies is you have governments and banks um, issuing edicts or declaring that this piece of paper has value.
but then ultimately people get to decide. So we had a situation a few years ago in India where the government said these pieces of paper no longer have value and thus impoverishing millions of people who'd saved up with those particular high denomination Indian rupees. Now they've done nothing. They've done nothing for their wealth to be diminished and disappeared this way. And what the agreement of money is, is the time and the energy that I expend in, some, in creating some product or service that you value. So I will spend, I don't know, if I'm a farmer, I'll grow crops, but I need to buy shoes. Well, I can't, I can only send you a certain amount of crops to exchange in a, for a pair of shoes, especially, and it doesn't work in a complex society because the guy who's got the cobbler or the shoe seller doesn't need my crops anymore. So then we have this agreement that we'll use this token and then as an exchange of value, as an exchange of time and energy, and everybody sort of agrees. So essentially that's, what, that's all that Bitcoin is. It's, it's, that's all that gold is. That's all that the pound is. It's just an agreement between people. No I don't disagree with that. Absolutely. I totally agree with you that it's a value. It's a form of value. And personally, I see that like gold, gold, gold is worth about nine to 10 trillion globally. At the moment, uh, say Bitcoin, the most renowned of the cryptos, the historic one, is worth just over 1 trillion. And so there's a lot of specialists out there. And that's why I need to jump on to Hassan for a moment from the industry who are saying, well, we need to get our clients in and maybe have one to 2% of their portfolios in it. And, you know, I, I, I do see that uh, Bitcoin could potentially be like a, a commodity currency like gold is. And have a great value of perhaps nine to 10 trillion is what, what I'm reading out there. Um, would you agree with that, Hassan? Um, I think there's a few points to mention. I think one, one thing is I, I would agree with uh, Crypto Rich that there there is, look, the system's broken to be quite frank uh, with you. We've seen this with uh, recent times, uh, you know, especially the coronavirus pandemic where, you know, just constantly printing money, um, you're eventually just going to create a system which, as you said, there's 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 no real value uh, behind this, and ultimately, uh, you know, if we look on a societal level, you're just going to have people at the bottom getting poorer and poorer. So a lot of people have kind of got into Bitcoin to see this being a level up for them. So if they've got a little bit of money and this brings them up. So potentially some people are looking at it from that. This could be the great leveler uh, in terms of what Crypto Rich was mentioning at, you know, before at the beginning when he introduced himself. Potentially a lot of people are looking at it from that perspective. In terms of what you're talking about institutionally, um, look, the reality is, is that to 2017, um, a lot of the people in the crypto universe, a lot of people that were pumped up about crypto thought this is it. This is um, this is crypto going mainstream. The institutions are going to get behind this. 
And this is when we're going to see this massive parabolic run of Bitcoin. It is going to become the next gold, et cetera, et cetera. And then you had a massive bear market that happened. 2021, um, obviously, you know, we're in a bull market just now. Uh, the price has gone up a Bitcoin. People are again talking about uh, could this potentially be, as you've mentioned, could it be a store of value in the same way that gold is? I mean, the, the, the market cap, as you've mentioned, is $10 trillion for gold and about $1 trillion for Bitcoin and about around about $2.1 trillion overall for the total cryptocurrency market cap as a whole. Um, so the reality is, is that, you know, long term, and, 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 I, and I do want to mention this to make it a, a, a really important point because of what Crypto Rich has mentioned regarding, you know, changing the system and, you know, value. If this is going to succeed, it's, it's got to be something that, that we are looking long-term. So long-term, could it hit the market cap of gold? Absolutely, it could. The, I, I don't think there would be any doubt uh, about the fact that it, it could potentially hit that. Now, that's interesting because what's happened now is obviously and this is why I wanted to bring back in the difference between 2017 and 2021 is institutions backed off right in 2017 and kind of didn't, didn't hold it. There is a different scenario happening now. 2021 is, is, is very much different where institutions are looking I mean, Tesla invest what $1.5 billion into, uh, in, in, into cryptocurrency into Bitcoin in particular, right? Um, grayscale, BlackRock, they've all mentioned the fact that they will be, you know, putting Bitcoin and other uh, cryptocurrencies uh, on their portfolio, uh, in their portfolio. BlackRock, sorry, uh, Grayscale are already doing that. So Grayscale have already done that, right? Microsoft, Tesla. Yeah. And there's actually, when you have a conversation with even uh, hedge fund managers, I mean, they're, they're, they're putting seven figures into uh cryptocurrencies at this moment in time um and the way i see it is what's interesting for me is is that look these guys not stupid right it's huge risk and reward for them and therefore i don't want to kind of you know say something about bitcoin regarding yeah i don't want to bring up the hype about it hitting a million dollars etc etc but if institutions are getting behind it they're getting behind it, wanting those big, big gains. Um, so I and, and also, if they're getting behind it, it shows you that this thing, this market, has got long has got a long term goal. They do now actually believe in it. They believe that this uh, this the cryptocurrency market is a genuine market, and they should be putting money into these currencies because they believe it's here for the long term. Very I think quickly. that's a big difference. I can quickly say again to either of you or anybody on the panel. So you've mentioned it's a store of value. However, isn't it also because of the change in the market in terms of the speed of set settlements as an aspect, they're an important critical factor impinged upon the fact that 2017, all those issues that occurred back then with um, there were fake um, cryptos out there. There were fake people out there trying to, deceive others 
So we've got a better ledger system and a better speed of settlements, and we've got a better security system, more understanding of that. So are these the changes that have made things more improved, Crypto Rich? I think you had a point. Well, Niels, there's something I want to address which uh, in there, which is about, I'd say it's a fallacy, like the fallacy of regulation. Like somehow regulation by governments or agencies makes things safe. That somehow if an organized regulated entity is acting, then we can all relax. No, we can never relax, whether it's unregulated or regulated. You know, HSBC paid, I, I don't know, was it, I'm just looking at $1.9 billion for money laundering, Mexican drug gang money. There was um, Goldman Sachs paid the largest fine ever in banking, $3.9 billion for breaking anti-bribery laws in Abu Dhabi and Malaysia. These are regulated industries. Then there's also the rogue landlords ripping people off, even though it's a regulated industry, not giving them tenancy agreements, not giving them eviction notice, not giving them receipts. There's shoddy house home builders. And I suppose for me, working as a child protection social worker, where I've worked with child abuse in beautiful palatial houses in Hampstead and Richmond, as well as nasty, nasty, horrible, low down ghetto slums in inner cities. There are people that do shady stuff everywhere in every demographic. So then it's incumbent upon me to be responsible about it. Whether I'm investing in crypto, whether I'm, I mean, I bought silver bars that turned out to be fraud. It was, it, I don't know, it was some other metal. It was magnetic. Silver's not supposed to be magnetic. So it isn't exclusive to crypto. Shams and scams isn't exclusive to cryptocurrencies. So I want to disabuse and address that notion. Then the other thing I said earlier about paradigm shift, there is likely to be a bear market in 2022 afterwards. Now, with institute in cryptocurrencies, with institutional money coming in, it may not be as steep as it was after 2017. Now, why is that? Because there's something that happens with Bitcoin, and Bitcoin is the one that moves the entire market, that doesn't happen with other forms of money, which is that every four years, the amount of supply that comes online halves. It just cuts 50%. So right now, every 10 minutes, six and a quarter Bitcoins are born. And then in what was it, the last one, 2020, in 2024, that will halve to three and an eighth of a Bitcoin every 10 minutes, and it'll be that way for four years. That doesn't happen with gold and silver. That doesn't happen with fiat currencies, which are inflationary currencies. You know, the people who, uh, you, the savings that you have, the effort that you do, the time that you spend on creating value that you can then exchange for essential goods and services, is being eaten away by banks, by the government, because they just print it away. So the money loses value. So it's a kind of way, I suppose I can look at it like a robbery of my labor and my effort. But that yeah, doesn't happen with a deflationary currency. So then you have this every four years, this halving, which creates particular patterns. And I didn't know about these, these patterns in 2017 when I first got in because I hadn't done sufficient research. I hadn't been responsible for how, sufficiently responsible for how this thing operates. So then it goes back to where well, you've got to do your own research. You've got to do your own due diligence. 
So I just wanted to say that the whole thing about somehow regulation makes things safe. No, my regulation of something is the best shot I've got. My autonomy, my agency. So I'm, I'm going to jump to then something and Hassan's going to come on board with this to help explain. I'm trying to understand then, well, there's people who are staking currency. So, you know, the Terra market, there's Luna, there's Bitcoin, there's Ethereum, and then there's Luna. A lot of hype that's been yep. in the market about Luna that's been very fascinating. Um, and people are staking Luna and they're getting an income out of this. Mm-hmm. And it's 20%. Now, first of all, there's two parts to my question. One is, what is this staking all about? How does one do it? Is it halal? And then the second part of it is, well, you're staking at 20%. Where is that coming from? In, in the lending market, when you're then lending, you're staking the you know assets to lend, loan to value, um, then you've got to make more from other people so isn't that part haram because it's like so much it's going to be well 40 percent 50 percent so it's trying to understand what exactly this entails and how halal is it and just for hassan before you answer that question i think a step back as well this cryptos in general in terms of the concept uh from a kind of sharia perspective as well it'd be good to hear either the range or the breadth of opinion or the dominant opinions or positions and some of the rationale and reason behind it as well before you go into the more specialized questions that Nia has asked, yeah, of course, yeah. So, um, let's be I'll, I'll begin with, with Nazim's point, I think that'd be a good general introduction, and then we can go into proof of staking, smart contracts, proof of work, etc., and, and all of that, right? Um, so just in terms of uh, cryptocurrencies themselves, and there's been a lot of fatwas uh, about cryptocurrency, um, whether permissible, impermissible for a long long period of time and 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 one thing that we've kind of uh, looked at and analyzed uh, myself and and some of my teachers is the fact that there is a lot of misunderstandings uh, around what really cryptocurrency is in particular what bitcoin is uh, and and ethereum etc what are these and there's a legal maxim um which states that al hukmu ala shay'i ala shay'i that um, uh, any ruling that is given basically has to be anchored in the individual knowing what it's about. And what I saw when I was kind of reading these fatwa works, these fatwas, these legal rulings, was that a lot of the ulama, a lot of the scholars didn't really know how cryptocurrency worked, what it was all about. Uh, and unfortunately, then what was happening was the fatwas that they were giving uh, were incorrect because they were based upon an incorrect understanding so this is this is an important point to mention is the fact that you know it sometimes our ulama uh, are, are very very quick to pull the trigger on things and say it's impermissible or permissible uh, without really understanding the the the, the concepts uh, behind them so i took uh, quite a lot a lot of time out to actually understand what this is all about what is cryptocurrency is all about and, and so what I found was that in order for something for a currency or even an asset to be permissible, they have to have two, two key properties. One is, is mal, that they have to be classified as being something that is property. And the other one is takawum, uh, which is basically they have to be intrinsically permissible to trade in, right? So 
mal is is what we classify as property and there is a kind of dispute over what is classified as mal and what isn't classified as mal so we have some hanafi scholars who will say that uh, it's what humans are inclined to and must be capable of being stored for the time of necessity there's others that mention that it's anything that is of benefit to human beings uh, others state that it's that which is desired and can be retrieved in the time of need um, and others said that it's it's it has to be physical, right? The property has to be physical. Now, a lot of those fatwas were based upon this opinion that the thing has to be physical. And because, well, Bitcoin isn't physical, therefore, point blank, it's not property and therefore it's impermissible to hold. But a lot of the modern day scholars and a lot of even the past scholars showed that it doesn't have to be uh, physical to, to be classified as property. So we have rulings in, in, in the schools regarding the fact that you can have steam baths and steam rooms and things like that, which aren't physical entities. The steam itself isn't a physical entity, but it was permissible to engage in, showing that really it, it's, it's the custom at the time that determines what gives it property, which gives it this idea of being mal. The other point is the gawam, which is that it must be lawful and have a benefit to it. So in this case, we would have to prove that Bitcoin or any other kind of one of these altcoins has uh, these two properties to it. One is it can be classified as mal. The other thing is it can be classified as the gawum. Now, if we look at the bog standard crypto assets that we have, Bitcoin or whatever, right? We can see that they're clearly retrievable. Now, even if they're in a the digital space, it doesn't make a difference. You can still retrieve your bitcoin you've got wallets etc there's no problem in moving them around without any any issue okay they do have value that's attached to them which is recognized by the people to be of value okay so people who are in bitcoin people who have invested even people who haven't invested in in, in bitcoin will see that this thing has value to it right and of course they can be stored uh people have hot wallets, they have cold wallets, etc. This is something which can be stored. So looking at it from that perspective, it would fit the criteria, number one, of being mal. Okay. Now, the second one is the qawwam, which is basically, is it being used for Sharia-compliant reasons? Yes or no? Now, of course, we have, like, for instance, a lot of them are peer-to-peer, -peer, uh, basically money exchanges and things like that. So a, a lot of what we're seeing in, 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 in these coins is, in fact, entirely permissible. A lot of the smart contracts and things like that are entirely permissible. In fact, they're ethically a lot stronger because, you know, they actually reduce corruption. If, if, if you change something in the blockchain, you know, your digital signature changes and everyone knows that something's been changed, um, which adds, an, adds a layer of protection on that. So I would say that based upon these two things that these, these cryptocurrencies do uh, possess these two things of mal and taqawwum and therefore they would be permissible. Now there's a kind of dispute over whether they would be classified as currencies or not. And, and this, is, this is because there is, um, Ulama mentioned that custom comes into it, right? And are they fully recognized as being currencies by the mass general public 
or by the government would determine whether they would be classified as a, as a currency or not. But other ulama have said that there's, there's a, a kind of ruling within custom called um, Urf al-Khas, uh, which is custom related to a specific entity, right? And they would say that Bitcoin or whatever coin in its field of the cryptocurrency market is regarded as a currency. So therefore, it would be regarded as a currency. Um, so there is kind of a dispute over that. I would probably argue that Bitcoin would be classified as a currency. I'd probably argue that the others would be more regarded as assets just because of the fact that I would rather play it safe and say, well, Bitcoin is being offered out to the public. I know you can buy things uh, with Bitcoin now over stock or, or you, know, you, can, you can buy things with Bitcoin for, through them, Tesla, etc. And we are seeing that it is going a lot more mainstream. The others do seem to be more assets in terms of Islamic law. So, uh, Hassan, what does that mean in real time? Are you implying that with a currency, it will always be zakatable, whereas with an asset, depending on the intention behind acquiring it, will determine if there's zakat on it or not? Because obviously, as with anything, with any asset you hold, you either determine whether it is a zakatable asset or not, depending on yeah. kind of how it is. So is that what you're alluding to by classifying it, whether it's a yeah. currency or otherwise? Yeah, so I'm, I'm just going to go on to that. So basically, zakat would be, if it's a currency, it's it's and someone asked this question regarding if it's on your exchange or whether it's in your bank account, it wouldn't make any difference. If you hold it, you hold it and you pay zakat on it. Now, the difference is when it comes to the different types of tokens and why I was classifying them as being assets is because it depends on the token, right? If it's something like Ethereum and you're using Ethereum as a utility token here, and what we mean by utility token is, is that you're using Ethereum almost like a piece of machinery you're using the blockchain of ethereum to for instance sell nfts on it or things like that right that would be regarded as you wouldn't need to pay zakat on that okay but for all other tokens they would be classified as being general assets that you would hold and therefore they would be as can you hold on a second um, i wanted yeah. um, crypto rich to um, make a point just now uh, crypto rich are you there you need to unmute. yes yes uh thank you so um a couple of points about cryptocurrencies whether they're halal or not as you've distinguished it well one is fiat currencies are used for um ignoble evil purposes that the u.s prints money in order to fund its war machine for the killing of people in foreign lands they don't tax people Banks don't invest in uh, like they used to. They don't invest in things to get a return, then issue loans. No, they create money. They just create it through fractional reserve banking. They can just print it into existence. So, so that, that's, that doesn't fit. Then the other thing that you're saying about can it be used as an exchange to exchange value? Well, yes, it can because it's happening. Whether or not somebody who has some sort of recognized authority says otherwise or not, people are agreeing that it has value, which brings it back to agreement. And ultimately who gets to say, I mean, you might have a situation like there was in Zaire a few years ago under Mobutu, he issued these, he was printing money away, printing money away in order to fund, uh, pay off his, his debts and stuff. The, the money collapsed in value. 
So then what he did, he issued whole new notes and those old notes were no longer valid and they were no longer being printed. So then the government issued these new notes and then wanted people to use them. But people stopped using the new notes because the new notes were being inflated away. So they started using the old notes because they were no longer being inflated away. There is a, um, an issue with regards to regulated money, declared authorized money like fiat currency, like somehow that is honorable. It's not. It's not any more honorable than anything that human beings do. It's not honorable when the US prints money to fund its war machine and then, and then people in the US don't bear the cost of murdering thousands of people abroad. Bitcoin doesn't allow anybody to do that. Governments can't do it. And in many, many respects, what Bitcoin is, represents, and these other cryptocurrencies represent, is a decentralization of value and of power and of equity. That okay. it isn't concentrated amongst these counterparties, these rentiers who are extracting value from people's individual labor and energy. Okay, can I um, jump in off a couple things? So this has come from the audiences and, um, you know, audience member who's saying that, you know, BTC, you know, 80% of the servers are in China. BTC has environmental concerns. And then if I continue with uh, this uh, audience member and thank you to this audience member for supplying this question, um, regarding, um, you, you know, in, in essence, you know, you're saying, okay, yes, it's creating a new currency, et cetera. Um, and, and there's underlying outdated financial architecture um, in terms of the banking system, et cetera. So this is an update. Well, he, this, this person is saying, when it comes to, DeFi versus CDFI, aren't there like rug pulls, pump and dump, deliberate, deliberate smart contract failures uh, in terms of the coin issues? So he, he uh, she is worried about this and says, well, yes, I'm a fan of uh, BTC, Ethereum, et cetera, et cetera, but I'm worried about all this as well. Should I be? Um, and uh, what happens when mining rewards drop, as you mentioned, uh, Crypto Rich? Um, how will the market be sustained? Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Great questions there. So, one about the, if I can address them point by point, the environmental issue. That's a bit of a red herring, in my opinion, but I'll come to that in a second. In terms of the Bitcoin miners being in loca located in China, as far as I know, the bulk of the Bitcoin mining that goes on uses renewable energy. Why? Because it's just cheaper. It is just cheaper. And as Bitcoin gains more and more in value, what I think is likely to happen is people are going to move uh, and start using mines elsewhere in other locations. Then the other thing that's going to happen is more and more money goes into Bitcoin. You have other cryptocurrencies rising which are way more decentralized, designed to be deliberately decentralized so you can't have the concentration of power like, the, like there is with Bitcoin. So there's coins like Veriscoin. These are ones that I'm familiar with and Pirate Chain that are fully decentralized. Then the, there are the, the environmental issue. Okay, how come nobody talks about the environmental cost of fiat banking? How come nobody talks about the environmental cost that when I moved, when I came to the UK in 1970, 
a trolley full of goods for my family of five of us was five pounds. How come that same trolley of goods is now 150, 200 pounds? What about the environmental cost of that? What about the environmental cost of the wars that are waged by the printing of money? The environmental cost paid by the people of Iraq and Libya and Syria and other places, funded by the printing of fiat. The environmental cost of investing in dodgy industries. The environmental cost of the whole petrodollar. How come the mainstream media which has close ties to banking because it's all part of the corporate corporate cartel, don't talk about that. Bitcoin is a threat to banking, to fiat currency banking. It's a threat to central banking because it cannot be controlled and manipulated the way that fiat currencies are currently manipulated and controlled. Yeah. Can I ask a yeah. Yeah, so I, I do um, want to come back to the DeFi well, community. Well, well, well. Just finish off and on you go. Okay, so the so to the person who asked, should they invest in DeFi if they don't feel comfortable about it? No, I don't. I I really do look into projects, or there are a few people because I've been in the industry who'll suggest something. I'll have a look and I'll take a, I'll take a punt on it. Sometimes those. Those uh, risky investments have worked out. Sometimes they haven't. But it's the same deal if I buy a house. I can buy, or a car. I can buy, I, I have bought a secondhand Prius from a regulated car dealer in West London. With it, I found out they'd clocked the, the mileage. But this was a regulated car dealer. So sure. there's no guarantee anywhere. We all got to be careful at all times in any industry, in any matter of human endeavor. Yeah, so what price did the Bitcoin start at originally? I, th I think the first transaction in Bitcoin was a couple of pizzas that cost 10,000 Bitcoin. Yeah. I wish I'd known about it then. Yeah, I read that story. So, so let's say, for instance, ethically, at the very beginning, I wasn't comfortable. And I've thought about it many a times to invest in it. My son's always told me, like, in the beginning of the show. And while you were all talking, I think I've come up with the reasoning as to why I didn't do it. Mm. So a couple of brothers there, have obviously, they're into their cryptocurrencies as well. Um, the, the reason being is, if, if I buy Bitcoin or any cryptocurrency, What's the reason I buy it for? I don't know. You need to work that out for yourself. I know why I buy it. Yeah, is to make money out of it. Yeah, I want to preserve my wealth. Yeah. Right. Because the okay. government are printing it. So, See, okay, hold on a second. Hold on a, a second. Yeah, little, hold on a second. Consider this, right? Bitcoin hasn't lost, hasn't gained value. It hasn't. The purchasing power of the pound in your pocket has lost value. One Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. One can of Coke equals one can of Coke in 1972. I don't know how much a can of Coke costs now. The fiat has gone down in value. No, but what I'm saying is this. What's, the, what's your reasoning for buying Bitcoin to make money? Yeah. Right. Okay. So let's say tomorrow cash is out the window. The currencies are out the window and we all go to Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Right. 
Yep. So how, how does that, number one, don't ask, answer the question just now, but how then is a poor person able to then get onto Bitcoin and feed his family if, if he can't afford to buy Bitcoin? Sure. Well, one is that also, also, also another point I will make before you answer that Sorry. one. Um, if, I, if I buy something in order for it to gain in price and sell it at a huge profit, is that not haram? Because if it's cryptocurrency or if it's grain in a field, if I'm growing grain in a field and I hoard that grain, in order for the price to rise and then for me then to sell that grain to the public, that's haram in Islam. So Bitcoin is just another commodity like you're saying. For me, I feel you're buying something in order for it to one day take over currency and then sell it at a massive profit and then to then sell it to people that can't afford it. And then to me, I feel that's haram. Abdul, can we have Hassan answer that? And sure. then after that, Crypto Rich. So Hassan, um, what are your thoughts on this? Because, you know, you've done that. I just want to go back. Yeah, I just want to go back to fiat currency. I mean, I want to make it very clear. I never mentioned anything about fiat currency being, um, I think it was a bit of a straw man, to be fair, that I mentioned things about fiat currency or that it's... Uh, um, I actually believe that, you know, uh, cryptocurrency is probably arguably better than fiat currency uh, because of the points of uh, inflationary, the inflationary nature of it uh, and the fact that governments, I mentioned this at the beginning, the fact that governments can just continually print money, um, which obviously means that there is control of the money supply by governments. Um, so I wanted to make that point very clear because in Islamic law, uh, according to the Sunnah of the Prophet, you know, the the the, the examples of things that the Prophet mentioned in Sunnah and the ulama have mentioned are things which do have intrinsic physical value like gold uh, and silver. So that's that's a point that I did want to mention is it's not, bit, you know, fear currency wouldn't, fit into that and in fact i would maybe argue that uh crypto is probably closer to to what the islamic economy would have rather than the fiat uh economy that's a point that i did i did want to make there uh, second of all holding it to sell um i think the the issue is the example that you've used uh, is an example of, for instance, uh, foodstuffs, which are perishable items that could go um, basically, you know, uh, diminish. Uh, and that's an issue. In terms of buying something, holding it, and then selling off a profit, uh, let me make this quite uh, clear. In Islam, um, there's no issue with the free market economy in terms of that. There's no issue with regarding the the laws of demand and supply people can make profits um it's the the ideas is that in islam is, is that you can have rich people you can have wealth the zakat is there for a reason because what the zakat does that income tax doesn't do is zakat taxes you on your wealth and re redistributes the wealth which is an important point to mention 
So I think that uh, goes back to what you were saying about the the you know the rich being richer and the poor being poorer, getting poorer through the system is unfortunately that's the system that you live in, which works in this way. The Islamic system does not work in that way because we actually tax people's wealth, and therefore there's a redistribution of wealth that occurs in the Islamic economic model, which doesn't occur in the yeah. Western economic model. So that that I think should basically answer your question. Thank you, Hassan. Thank you. Thank you. There's some really good points. And there's something else I want to address um, that Abdul you said, which is what's a poor person to, to do? What cryptocurrencies represent is the distribution of wealth, the, the redistribution of money creation, that it's no longer the monopoly of central banks and governments. People can create their own cryptocurrencies. You can create a cryptocurrency amongst your family, amongst your wider network, and then you can all decide if you want to use that as exchange. And then if more people find it valuable, they'll start using that if more people agree. And then something, so, so everybody has an access to this. It might take some sort of technical knowledge. I mean, I don't have that. I have no interest in acquiring that. But I can find somebody who does and we can work together. It's not monopoly. It's it's distributed. And then something, Hassan, you said about gold and silver having intrinsic value. I I would think so, but it doesn't. There's no intrinsic value to just because it's physical. I've got friends in Britain who don't really get the value of gold or silver. But if you go to Germany, they do get the value of gold. They think it's more, they think it's valuable. If I take a gold eagle or a gold Britannia or a silver Britannia and I go amongst the, the Ikung people in, in the Kalahari or the Hutsa people in Tanzania and say, hey, look, do you want this? They might think it's a shiny little, I don't know, doodad or something like that, but it doesn't have any value. Okay, That's but the I do. I... Is there is there zakat on cryptocurrency? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've mentioned that uh, earlier. I just may, going back to that point that you've mentioned. Remember, we're talking about when I'm talking about uh, the 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 idea of of in Islamic law regarding gold and silver, etc. Right. When I'm talking about, I'm talking about in an Islamic economy. So okay. I do want to okay. make that kind of clear, right? Is this that what you're talking about? These kind of, there are a bit of a straw man kind of points that you're making about Tanzania or going here or going there. When I'm talking about these points, I'm, I'm saying that in an Islamic economy where gold is regarded as a source of value, right? That, it, and everyone recognizes that. Because yeah. um, that, in, in that context, is, 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 is what I'm talking about. Yeah, I, th I think that's an important point, Hassan. I think we need to obviously understand when it comes to redistribution of wealth, that's the whole point. The point is it's wealth, and there's nothing wrong with people being wealthy and people being less wealthy. That's why the zakat system exists. Actually, what happens is if people have Bitcoin and Bitcoin goes up in value, they, if they were in an Islamic economy, we'd be paying more zakat, and that zakat would go to poor people perhaps who, would, who couldn't afford Bitcoin or, or whatever, and that's how it is. So the concept of wealthy distributed is, is the fundamental key to Sharia. The concept of everybody being equal is not necessarily an intrinsic Sharia component. The point is, is that there is a recognition some will have more, some will have le less, and there's a wisdom behind it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is privy to. 
the point is that when you have people less fortunate than you, you have a moral and ethical responsibility to look after them and ensure that they are not below such a level that they cannot be able to sustain and fulfill the necessities of life. And another very basic concept just for people to understand is that the problem with printing more money is to take an example of a share company that issues more shares. What happens is the value of the sh each share will go down as the number of shares go up. The company itself may or may not change uh, much in value depending on how much money they bring in. But when you dilute something, the value of each thing goes down. So that concept of a can of Coke is very important. What, what it's implying is that the pound has gone down. So you need more pounds to get the same amount. So you might think you have hundred pounds now compared to maybe a pound 30 years ago. But the question is, is that 100 pounds go further than a one pound or not? That's where you understand the value of the currency. So as Bitcoin is going up or whatever, we have to understand that the value of pound and fiat currencies is actually going down. So it's holding its value. So it's doing what gold does. Gold holds its value. Uh, and that's an important thing. That's why you use gold and the amount of gold in terms of determining how much the cat to pay or silver or whatever. The asset of cryptocurrency at this point in time is like holding its value. It might be more worth than value because it's more value or recognized. But the point is, it's not something that is like being printed off. And it's not like you simply go and mine and say, oh, here's all this cryptocurrency out of nothing. It has to come from something. Uh, even when you have these other types of uh, currencies, they're using other uh, um, altcoins or whatever as a reserve to create that. So it's not created out of nothingness. So it's about understanding fundamentals to then build on that when it comes to understanding more complex ideas. And I guess with that, I'm quite keen to know this concept of staking and how this fits in with the whole crypto system. We'd like to answer that one. Can, um, can I say something about that? Sure, go on. Yep. So, what's, so, so there's different types of cryptocurrency, how they get created. It's essentially a form of computer code that cannot be altered or very, very difficult to alter depending upon the type of computer code. Bitcoin, you can't alter the computer code. If you do alter the computer code, it's no longer Bitcoin. And the code is completely decentralized. Nobody owns it. Uh, so it, it's beyond individual control. Then staking coins, uh, and I did mention I was interested in privacy. There's one called Sentinel, which is a decentralized VPN, allows people to preserve their privacy. So they're not being snooped on by whoever and preserve your finances and stuff in the information on in your computer. That has a staking mechanism where you essentially, I take my cryptocurrencies. Now, this isn't great for people who are just really new to this, what I'm about to say, right? But you hold the, the digital money in a, in a digital wallet that's online in a way like how we do all do digital banking now through the co-op or Lloyds or whoever. And I get on a regular basis, more coins are added into my wallet just because I held them in my wallet. But that process is, is written into the code of that particular cryptocurrency. So I just get a reward for holding it. But what's going on behind the scenes is the code of that particular cryptocurrency is being, um, I'm trying to think how to say it in layman. Validated. It's being validated, but in layman terms, Hassan, I'm trying to think, right? It's being uh, kept correct, pure, accurate, updated automatically just by, the, just by the virtue of me holding it. So they want enough people to hold it because the more people hold it, the more decentralized that code is and the more potent and powerful and less more resistant it is to being corrupted. 
Yeah. Just to kind of mention, because I know some people have asked regarding the permissibility of this uh, staking. So everything that Crypto Rich has said is pretty precise in terms of what it is. So it's basically that that the tokens are, are frozen and, and held in the owner's wallet, right? Um, and then it allows the people behind the scenes, as he's mentioned, to 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 allow the data on the blockchain to basically be validated. Now, one of the things that people, again, don't, uh, seem to think is, is that, is this RIBA? Is this RIBA? Because they see this percentage, and straight away when people think percentages, they think interest, RIBA, haram, right? But we've got to be, we've got to actually think about this in terms of, is it RIBA? Is it not RIBA? Is it usury? Is it not usury? And really what's happening is, is that, you know, the, the scenario that's being played out is when you're staking is the tokens are actually not being transferred to anyone else. There's not a transfer of ownership taking place. Okay. There's not really a transaction like a, in any kind of usurious way, shape or form taking place because there is no transaction taking place. They're giving you reward for you storing those coins in your wallet for a certain period of time. Okay. And you don't transfer them to anyone else and you don't put them back on the exchange. Okay, Hassan, right? so that's the 20%. Is that correct? So, so that's, yeah, the so that's then the 20% that they're giving you back or they're saying, if you give this, we'll give you an extra token. See, that 20%, we've got to make it clear, is not interest. It's regarded as a reward. Okay? So it's not riba. All right? I've just kind of got to make that point clear. And also another another point that people have mentioned regarding staking is, is that is it classified as, as gambling as well? Again, it's not classified as gambling. You're holding your item. And again, no one is losing because there's no exchange taking place, right? You're not winning at the expense of others. You're gaining a reward based upon the fact that you're holding that cryptocurrency in that wallet because they've asked you to right so for instance luna have asked you to do that and they will give you reward for doing that so that reward would be permissible uh because like i said it's not usurious in 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 its essence um Absolutely. so it's just a it's just a point to kind of uh, mention out there is just that you know a lot of people and again as i was saying is, is that even ulama even scholars students of knowledge when they look at it they see a percentage and straight away before actually looking into what is this all about they straight away go into this idea of oh, they see a percentage that must be interest that's haram but we've we've really got to get underneath it we've got to understand what we are talking about what really is being given at that moment in time and then uh, and then give a ruling on it Rich, I think you wanted to say something. Please go ahead. That's a really, really great point and really well explained. And it is that, the, you know, one way to consider it that the coins or the tokens that I hold in my wallet are actually working the code. It may not look like it, but they're actually keeping the code alive. And then they're being rewarded for that digital effort. Just wanted to add that. Okay. Thank you for that. I'm gonna. Um, I've got another question, um, and it's about the central bank uh, um, digital currencies. Uh, so, uh, don't you worry that uh, DeFi provides a platform to perfect the technology 
that will just be co-opted by banks and used to spy on our daily transactions in an unprecedented manner. Is that something to be concerned about? Um, I'd like to answer well, that. They, I mean, they already do it right. So <laughs> you're asking about something which they already do. Um, I mean, this is the idea of the decentralization side of things is it is there to kind of uh, stop that. And there's there's loads and loads of projects that are happening regarding even Web 3.0. I'm sure Crypto Rich will know about that. Um, I was in a, in a recent discussion with uh, Blue Zells, uh, Blue Zell, I think they're called, uh, and they're actually on Web 3.0. And it's all about a decentralized um, web, basically. Um, so there is, of course, there's always going to be that risk that with, as with anything that these big institutions swallow it up and, 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 and take it and, and, and use it for illegitimate reasons. Right. Um, absolutely. You know, there, there, there is that, I mean, nuclear is one of those perfect examples of that, um, where something could use an energy could be potentially used as a bomb as well at the same time. Of course, it's always going to be that risk. But I mean, the hope is, is that these institutes, these uh, organizations that are dealing in DeFi, uh, a lot of them, I mean, do believe in the product themselves. And the hope is, is that they won't allow that to happen and they won't sell out. Um, so, yeah, maybe Crypto Rich would probably yeah. have a lot more information, probably yeah, speaks to a lot of them a lot more. Hassan, thank you. So, uh, yes, there is that risk. And I think it will happen because banks are run by human beings and human beings go where there's money to be made. But uh, cryptocurrencies represent the decentralization and redistribution of power. So it's no longer concentrated. And there are increasing number of privacy focused cryptocurrency projects. There are privacy focused DeFi projects and, you know, people can look into them. There are many, many, I know about Ergo platform, I know about secret network that has secret DeFi uh, capabilities. There's Pirate Chain, which is a privacy preserving cryptocurrency. There's Sentinel, which is a decentralized VPN. So the, the ability, banks are losing the ability, banks and governments are losing the ability to act as rentiers. I extract wealth from people's energy and labor. And that's the opportunity of cryptocurrencies. Right, look, I'm gonna go back to Abdul. Abdul, yeah. um, we've really uh, covered a lot and it's mind blowing, isn't it? It is actually, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> it's, I mean, you're talking billions and trillions and then we're talking about people getting vastly rich, but then we're infusing that with with the Islamic theology through it, just doesn't sit right with me. I'm only personally talking. Um, I've been trading all my days since I was a wee boy, and I used to go with my dad and buy something and go to the markets and sell it, a wee profit, and he came home. So I, I, I did it the old-fashioned way. Uh, so this, I, I just feel, of, of all the knowledge, of all the scholars that they have, uh, and then for this to be permissible, I feel humility and humbleness is maybe thrown out the window. And, and that's our main asset as a Muslim. 
and I think it doesn't sit right with with the a, a, to me a fake currency, um, and uh, it's a gamble, and gambling is haram because you could lose your money tomorrow. Look, I'm, I'm going to be fair to um, all the everybody involved. Um, we've only got a couple of minutes, so I'm going to give a minute to everybody so you have your point shared. I'm going to start with um, Nazim. You have 30 seconds starting now. So an important point to realize is that, as Hassan mentioned, is when it comes to fiqh, one has to be objective and remove sentiment and emotion out of it and look at it purely in terms of the halal and the haram of it, the principles that underpin it and to look at the validity of something uh, and, and give an opinion based on that. That is the fatwa of something, the taqwa of something, the person's preference and viewpoint on something, and that should never get in the way of clouding what is considered to be right or wrong. Otherwise, we will not be able to do our job. It's, for example, if a doctor gets emotionally attached uh, to a case, for example, or a lawyer getting something, you cannot fulfill the role or the responsibility you have. So one thing is with these new concepts is actually do your research and constantly do your research until you understand the facts fully to give a factual answer. Your personal preference is a separate issue altogether. Thank you. I'm going to jump uh, straight to Crypto Rich. Uh, you have under a minute. Um, please go ahead. Well, thank you. I've really, really enjoyed this. And I would just echo uh, what Nazim just said. People should, should look into it. And it may mean letting go of some um, notions that operate within the fiat currency because they don't apply here. What we actually have with the opportunity of cryptocurrencies is the distribution and the democratization of value creation. And Abdul, if you want to sell, if you have Bitcoin and you want to sell it cheaper, you can do so. You can set whatever price you want to set and then people will buy it at that price or they won't. If you're going to sell it at a discount, I will buy it off you, Abdul. So you can relax. No, I don't intend to buy any. Don't worry about it. Hassan, I've got you for the last minute. Please go ahead and thank you so much, Crypto Rich and Nazim as well and Abdul Aziz. Jazakallah. Hassan, yeah, I mean, yeah, so I think just just uh, echoing the sentiments of, of what we've mentioned, look, if it's not for you, it's not for you. You don't need to feel bad about it. Uh, if you're not comfortable trading in something, don't trade in it. Uh, simple as that. Um, what we've mentioned is regarding the halal and the haram thing. Look, we've got principles laid out in, 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 in our fiqh. Um, we believe in the methodologies. Uh, of 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 the four schools, and we judge things based upon the methodologies of of the four schools to then come up with these rulings. So, you know, when I'm talking about these things, I'm I'm talking about them from a, a perspective of looking at it, surveying the surveying the entity itself, looking at what the ulama have said, and then kind of placing a judgment on it based upon that. So, uh, you know, just just to make that that point out there, um. And yeah, just research a lot more about it before you do get sucked into it. It's very, very easy to lose track of things. I've seen people do really stupid things like, you know, put their rent money. Students put their rent money on in onto Dogecoin thinking they'll make loads of money and then it completely drops and they're having to ask their parents for money for food to eat. Don't do stupid things like that, right? Be a bit sensible about things. And as I think echoing the sentiments, and I'm sure everyone would agree, if you are going down this line of, of, of investing into cryptocurrency, only put in what you can afford to lose. I think that's a, that's a key point just to finish on. Thank uh, you. Look, if you're interested. I'm going to have to interrupt. This is our last point now. 
Thank you so much to all of our guests. Thank you, Abdulaziz, for joining yet again. It's been a wonderful show. It's um, quite contemplative. I think we have to think about it. Um, I'm thinking to, I'm going to give you a very quick snapshot. I'm thinking about my very close friend who's in New York. Because of this, I'm interested in this area. You know what he said his dream is? Is to take care of his parents. And that's his number one duty. And I respect that. That's what he's going to do with his success and the people around him that are back home in Nepal. So, you know, I see a lot of good stuff. I see the good things from the Zakat. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us again. We look forward to having you. We'll be back on Late Night Live next week, Monday to Wednesday from 11 o'clock at night till 1230 a.m. Thank you and good night.